17, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, my Father which is in heaven. And here's the verse, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We have the church in a future form right here. The view is future, and it's the mystery. You don't have uh, the church that we are a part of right now in view when Jesus, he, he has the church which we are a part of in view when he says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. Now, why? Why? Because the kingdom has been postponed. We don't have a king. We have a head of the church and the kingdom that he is going to set up he has the church in view when he says this because the kingdom is a postponement. That is also in a future time. And so in the meantime, he is saying, in my absence. Now, he's saying this when he's here on earth. But he's saying, in my absence. I'm not going to be here on the earth anymore. Until I come back and set up my kingdom. While I'm gone. I will build my church. A kingdom isn't being built right now. Jesus Christ is building his church. He is going to come back to earth and set up his physical, literal kingdom. So in this passage, Jesus Christ reveals his church. And it is going to be made up of all individual people who accept the Messiah because there were a group of national people who rejected that Messiah, his own people. They rejected him. He's going to come back and deal nationally. And we're going to tie all this in together. But the church was not in existence in the Old Testament. And the church, when Jesus is on the earth during his earthly ministry, it is not in existence. It's a future view. And then when he leaves the earth, he dies on the cross. We all know three days, three nights later, he rose again. He's ascended into heaven. And so now everything that he had to do to purchase his church has been done. And so from that point on, now that is what is in existence now. We get that future view from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Uh, go to the book of Ephesians because there's some other truth we want to look at. We'll get the third chapter. Ephesians chapter number three. Verse number... Uh, unto me who am uh, less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is certainly some. And here's the verse I'd like to look at. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. What is that fellowship of the mystery? which from the beginning of the world hath been hid 
in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now one of the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What's a mystery? It's an unknown truth that now becomes a known truth. It's been hidden God, but now it isn't hidden God anymore. Truth has been revealed, and now the church is no longer a mystery. But that fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world, we see that in verse number 10, uh, might be known by the church. And when you are, watch what else happens in Ephesians 2. So he says he's going to build his church. We see in, in Ephesians 3, uh, it's a mystery, just an unknown truth until it becomes known. That's all it is. Ephesians 2, look at verse 14. For he is our peace, that's Jesus Christ, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments containing ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, watch this, one new man, so maketh peace. His church, that's, that's the new man. We are in him. We are in his church. We are part of his body. We are that new man. For to make in himself of twain one new man, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. That's us. We're in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. So Christ, first off, he's the head of the body of the church. We know that from Colossians 1. The church is his what? Bride. And Jesus Christ, he's the construction worker that built it. That's why he said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. We all know that to be a spiritual uh, a spiritual reference. We all know our Bibles well enough to understand that. But that church in Ephesians 2, look at it as a new man. You don't have to turn there, but John 17 says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. You know where Christ is now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's maintaining his glory. And the kingdom is put on hold because, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself because we'll, we'll get there in a minute. So just hold that thought. So do we see that in Matthew 16 as far as his church? But I also want to look at one other thing. Right before it says, I will build my church, what does it say? Upon this rock. Who is the rock? Deuteronomy 32 says, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. I know a lot of people say in here, false groups will tell you that, well, Peter is the rock. 
And we are to build our church upon Peter as the first pope, except that's not true. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at some reasons why. I quoted you Deuteronomy 32 in seven times in that passage. Christ or God is referred to as the rock. And it's in reference to God being faithful to his promise. You go back and read chapter 32 of Deuteronomy and, and you'll be able to review that for yourself. It doesn't matter what weary land we're dwelling in. We've got a rock that we can hide in. We've got a rock that will offer us protection. And it doesn't matter what age. That rock points to God and Jesus Christ is God made manifest in flesh. But some groups will try to convince you that Peter is the rock and it's not true. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10, verse 2, makes reference back to the Old Testament. And we're all baptized, verse number 2, 1 Corinthians 10, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual, what, rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That's a pretty clear passage to let me and you know that Jesus Christ is the rock. What else do we see in 2 Corinthians? We're talking about spiritual application. And this church that was a mystery but isn't a mystery now, it's been revealed. It is a spiritual building. And we are part of his spiritual body. And he's saying all this in Matthew 16. And he says, I will build. And yes, that's future. But he has something else that's in future as well that has been put on postponement. And until that comes to fruition, he is dealing now with individuals being placed into a body. And it's all spiritual in application. There's going to be a culmination of an earthly kingdom that will happen after all of this. And that is in reference to physical things, earthly things, and promises that he made that he will fulfill. Go to Exodus 17, because we saw in 1 Corinthians 10, the rock was Christ. Go to Exodus 17. And let's see if we can get help here. Exodus 17, look at verse number 4. Exodus 17. Give you a minute to get your spot. Exodus 17. Read verse 4. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod. Wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Watch verse 6. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock. God tells Moses to do what? To that rock. Smite it, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. 
Now we all know we all know that story. You know what that pictures? We all know what that pictures. Christ as the rock being smitten, being smote. We see that pictured in Exodus. And Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him what? Stricken. So we see that picture in the Old Testament. But in Numbers chapter 20, what did God tell Moses to do? To the rock. Speak to it. Now isn't that interesting? Because as it plays out, did Moses obey God? No. Moses had a better idea, and so Moses smite, he smote the rock twice. You know why that's a problem? One, because he didn't obey God. Two, because you know what Hebrews tells us? Christ was smitten once, one time, and that's it. You got a lot of these groups trying to point to Peter as the Pope of the church, which is false. But you got another problem with this rock is the picture in Exodus is one time. You know what Romanism does? You know what Roman Catholicism do, does and those other groups? They've got a mass, which is a sacrifice over and over again. God told Moses, you speak to that rock. Do not smite it. It pictures one time he was smitten one time he was smote and paid for the sins of the world and if God didn't if God didn't deal with Moses's disobedience we would have had that picture destroyed but God did deal with it. he did and praise the Lord for it Yet another picture, though, too, because Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land because he didn't obey God and the work he told him to do. Moses, because of his works, wasn't allowed entrance. Now, are we entering into a physical kingdom? No, we're not. But. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, if you want entrance into that spiritual kingdom, you know what you better count on? The work of Christ. <laughs> one time for your sins and for mine. It's a one-time work sacrificed and offered once for all. And Joshua entered, and ironically enough, his name means God is my salvation. Who's your salvation? Who's your salvation? Go to Galatians 2. Get another one more here before we move on to the next verse. Galatians 2. Look at verse number 9. Galatians 2, verse 9. Give me one second here. 
Okay. Yeah, that is right. Galatians 2, verse number 9. Watch what it says. And when James Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Now, it's a long verse, but why I went there is to show you this. If Peter's so important, supposed to be the head of the church, how come he's mentioned second? He's mentioned second because James is proceeding. He's presiding over the church in Jerusalem. Go to Acts 15 and you'll get that cross-reference. But James is listed as first. The other thing you have here, people that want to say, well, Peter is the... Peter's the rock. He, he, that's who the reference is. He's the first pope of the church. No, he's not. You know why? Because when you look at this verse, you know what it says? James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars. That's not the rock. That's a, that's a pillar. And you got to get that distinction. You've heard the term pillars of the church. We looked at this in 1 Samuel 2. We talked about where well, the pillars of the earth are the Lord. And we saw very clearly that those pillars in there, when you read the next verse, it's people. It's his saints. The reference to people. What do you see here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9? Who seem to be pillars. Who's that in reference to? Well, it's not concrete pillars. It's people. James, Cephas, and John. And you can, you can rightly divide the word of truth. And you can say, yes, Peter was a pillar. But guess what Peter wasn't? The rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. He always has been. He always will be. And what's interesting in the church at Rome, when you look at the end, go, go to the last chapter of Romans. Acts Romans. Paul concludes in Romans chapter 16 with some final salutations. This is why we see coming up throughout that chapter the word salute. He's just giving salutations. And what's interesting is you won't be able to follow along. I wrote down all the names. Paul uh, references uh, a salutation to Phoebe, Priscilla, and Aquila, Epinatius, Mary, Adronicus, Junia, Amphilus, Urbane, Stachus, Apellus. Aristobulus' household, Herodian, Narcissus' household, Tryphena and Tryphosa. I, I, maybe you have twins that might be in the running. Come on over here, Tryphena. Come on over here, Tryphosa. Just saying. That'd be two good names for twins. But anyway, he goes on. Persis, Rufus, Asocritus, Flagian, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, uh, Philogius, Julia, Nereus, Olympus, Timotheus, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Tertius, Gaius, Erastus, and Quartus. Now that's a that's an exercise in trying to learn how to say all these names. But I just read all those names. I wrote them all down to read them to you to show that this is to the church at Rome. Yet Romanism today tries to convince you that Peter is the head of the church. He's the first pope. He's not. Paul doesn't even make mention to him in a salute at the end of the 
close out the book. Now, if he was that first pope they're trying to put him as, that'd be a pretty disrespectful thing to not list him in there. But he's not listed. Very curious, nonetheless, if nothing else. So the rock in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, is clearly, clearly Jesus Christ. That's important to point out, and that's why we took that little side road there. Now go back to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. I kind of skipped over the most obvious one on why Jesus Christ is considered the rock and not Peter. Look at verse number 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, this is Jesus saying unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. If he's supposed to be the first pope, we got yourself a problem. The Lord just called him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. That's a pretty obvious verse. Uh, that's right in front of us. You just have to kind of continue to read. A lot of the answers in the Bible are right in front of us. We just got to read a few verses ahead, a few verses after. A chapter or two ahead, a chapter or two after. We end up getting the context of it. I hope that, hope that is helpful. But now, let's finish out with verse number 19 in Matthew 16. He says, Jesus says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys to what kingdom? Kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of God. Is it the same as the kingdom of God? You've had enough lessons to know. The kingdom of heaven is physical. The kingdom of God is spiritual and within. So he's referring here to keys of that heavenly earthly kingdom. When you read Matthew 6, uh, 16, verse number 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, thou shalt be loosed in heaven. When he says, give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he is not talking about eternal life. And we're going to get some understanding on that. What is the key to understanding the keys to the kingdom of heaven in this verse? The key is Peter. He is Peter. You need some more information, don't you? You do. You know what happened in Luke 18? Peter said, lo, we have left all and followed thee. Peter initially is following the Lord. He left all and he's following the Lord. We get that, okay? Keep that picture in your mind because the key to understanding the keys in verse number 19 has to do with Peter. What happened with Peter? 
Look at verse number 16. Um, uh, chapter number 16, verse number 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show on his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now watch what Peter, watch what Peter, verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter initially is following the Lord. Now when we get to Matthew 16, what happens? Because it happens to us. Peter is offended by what the Lord says. Initially, he's all in. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to forsake all, Lord. But then he gets to a point where he is offended by the Lord. By the time we get to Matthew 26, not only is Peter offended, but by the time we get to uh, chapter number 26, Peter forsakes the Lord. He says in verse 70, I know not what thou sawest. Verse 72, I do not know the man, speaking of Jesus Christ. He denies him. That's the second time. The third time. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. Three times he denies him. He forsakes the Lord. And then immediately the cock crew. Initially, Peter is following. Then he gets offended by what the Lord said. By Matthew 26, Peter is in complete denial. And at the end of the verse, he repents. Let's look at it. Look at it with your own eyeballs. Go to Matthew 26. Look at verse 75. Matthew 26, the last verse. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitter. He was all in. He was following 100%. Except it wasn't 100% when he was offended by the Lord. Then he denies him. He forsakes him. But at the end of it, he repents. Keys to the kingdom of heaven. The key, understanding the keys of the kingdom of heaven is found in understanding Peter. You know why? Because when John the Baptist came onto the scene, you know what the Jewish people initially were doing? Following. They were responding. They were getting baptized. They were repenting. They were all in. They wanted to follow the Lord. Until they started to get offended by what the Lord said. And then they started crying, crucify him, crucify him. Not this man, but Barabbas. His blood be on us and on on our children. Three different accounts. They cry out and deny him. But they started out like Peter. They initially were following They got offended. And that offense led to, let's crucify him. That's exactly what they did. 
Barabbas was released. The Bible says that when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Peter followed. He got offended. He denied and forsook the Lord. And at the end of it, what did he do? Repent. You know what the key to understanding the keys of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 16, verse 19? It's understanding the picture of Peter. That Jewish, pe that Jewish people, they initially responded. Then they got offended. Then they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. They totally forsook the Lord. There's going to be a time when, just like Peter, they are going to turn their hearts back to the Lord and they are going to repent. Not going to happen now, but it is going to happen in the future. Peter is not granting people access into heaven with this key. It is speaking of the kingdom of heaven, and it is an understanding of Peter and that Jewish nation, and it is access into an earthly millennial kingdom. When? When is that going to happen? It isn't going to happen now. That's why he said, I will build my church. Because this interim, until that people as a nation repents in the interim until Jesus Christ comes back, he is building a spiritual kingdom of God as church. When he comes back, he's going to set up his earthly kingdom. Matthew 24 lays out all of the signs that we will need to look to Let me, I got to back up. Let me rephrase that. Not we, because we're, we are part of the body of Christ. We are going to be caught up. We are going to be out of here. And then he's going to turn back and deal with that nation. And that is going to start to play out some things where that nation, just like Peter, will turn and repent. And they will have entrance into an earthly, physical, literal kingdom that Jesus Christ will set up. So when you see on these websites, churches say we're premillennialists. That's what that means. <laughs> this is defining what it means when someone asks you, well, what does it mean to be premillennial? This is part of it. Understanding how these end times will play out. Go to Matthew 25. This kingdom of heaven is earthly in nature. And the nation. Well, look at Matthew 25, verse 31.
When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Where is this taking place? On earth. When he comes back, it's taking place on earth. Verse number 32. And before him shall be gathered all what? Nations. And he shall separate them one from another as a sheep divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his left, on his right hand, and the goats on the left. What is happening on earth? We all see that. That's happening on earth, right? Comes back. Who is being judged? Individuals or nations? Nations. Look at 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Watch verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. You don't get a pass to go to heaven. It's verse. This is entrance into that physical, millennial, earthly, literal kingdom that he's going to set up. Verse 35. For I was an hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. This isn't people doing good works down on earth, gaining entrance into eternal life in heaven. This is referring to, let's see. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee. I'm getting to it. Verse 40. It's here. And the king shall answer and say unto them. See, he's referenced as the king because he's here to set this kingdom up. Verily I say unto you, and as much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Who is Christ's brethren? The Jews. The Jewish people. Nationally, they turn to him and repent. That nation is cleansed and restored. We're not his brethren. We are his children. You have been born again. Birthed into the spiritual kingdom of God. Placed into his body, the church. You and I, we are, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. Here on earth, a judgment with nations. Entrance into a physical kingdom, because just like Peter, that nation is going to turn nationally. That remnant will completely turn and trust God. And they will be granted entrance into the kingdom. You know why the nations are being judged? They, these nations will be judged based on how they treat 
Christ's brethren. During the time when the church is already called away. And during that seven year time. Of persecution and sorrow and tribulation. And then great tribulation and all of that. Those nations, those national leaders are going to be judged based on how they treat Christ's brethren. The Jewish remnant. That's what that is. That nation's going to turn. And they're going to repent. And the key to the keys of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 16 verse 19. Is Peter in understanding how that matches. How that pictures what's going to happen with that Jewish people. That remnant. When Christ comes back right before he sets up his kingdom. They're going to repent. And they will be gained access into that millennium. 